Hey, Jacob. Yeah? We got to tell the listeners about Berez Coffee Company. Oh, their coffee for gamers by game. That's them. 100% free trade Colombian coffee brewed right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. You know, that sounds perfect for all night gaming sessions, no matter what kind of gamer you are. Video games, tabletop, card games, B-Res has what you need to keep sharp. They got all kinds of flavors to choose from, like good for gaming light roast, or my favorite, the Necro Medium. You know, I like a good dark roast, like critical gaming dark. You can even add flavors to your coffee, like iCast Fireball, which is a fireball whiskey flavor yeah and if you can't decide what you want then just try out their specialty sample pack look whatever your coffee of choice is they've got you covered head on over to brezcoffeeco.com and use the code ompodcast at checkout for 10 percent off of your order oh thank you for joining another episode of the open micros podcast which is brought to you by that dirty Filthy motherfucker, BJ DeBlow. He knows exactly what he did, and he would have started his own podcast, but he's too chicken shit. Oh, and if you like Jay but think he's too good-looking, try the Gesture Sport, hosted by Jay's fat twin, Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts can be downloaded. And this podcast is also brought to you by Jay and Reynolds, who, when I asked him what his ad read should be, he said, roast me raw. His words, not mine. So I will say... JN looks like E.T. if instead of phoning home, he did hard time for heroin possession. <laughs> JN looks like he pays people to pee on him. <laughs> that music can only mean one thing. It is time for the Open Micers Podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I am the younger and much good-looking, much more good-looking Jacob Craig, and I can't speak. I'm can't from Vancouver. Please, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> those good I'm looks, Jacob Craig. Those good looks kept you from uh, learning good, good speaking English. Yeah, me no good speak. Um, guys, I'm very excited because we haven't had a guest on this podcast in way too long. It's been almost like four weeks since we've had a guest. And what I'm a guest excited. to come back with. Holy cow. You are right, dude, because this guest will be at Pensacon February 18th through the 20th. And he is none other than the fabulous artist, Mr. Christopher Burdett. Thank you for coming on our show. How are you doing, Mr. Burdett? I'm doing amazing. And when this famous artist shows up, I'll be even more happy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, no, you- uh, I was really nervous about this because I, I'm, I'm such a fan of, of pretty much everything you've ever done. And uh, like, I, I'm just I'm looking at your resume and I'm like, where should I even start? I mean, you, you've done stuff for... You know, you, you're an artist for you've done Dungeons and Dragons. You've done stuff for Star Wars. You've of course made monsters for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Where do we start, Jacob? Do you even know where we should start with our guest tonight, dude? I honestly, I I don't know. <laughs> let's really let's take know. it back to the beginning. Yeah, we start at the beginning, and when we get to the end, we'll stop. Sounds good. You know what? That's a good game plan. (laughs) So tell us where you got your start, because you're an author, illustrator, painter, monster maker. I mean, you pretty much do it all. Like, how do you get started doing that? uh, Well, it goes back many, many decades. Uh, I was a three-year-old kid, and I went to see a movie. My parents took me to this movie. Uh, you guys may have heard of it. Uh, it's kind of a cult classic. It's called Star Wars. And uh, I saw oh. Star Wars. Yeah, there's this Star Wars thing. This George Lucas guy made it. Uh, and I was three. And I saw Star Wars opening night back in 1977. And yeah, all I knew was I, I, I just kind of thought to myself, I want to make that. Whatever that is, I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good dose of Godzilla and Ultraman and... Uh, other monster movies and stuff along the way and ta-da here i am all right and thanks for having me oh that was a great episode everybody (laughs) no join us next week uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean i just it like i got hit pretty hard with monsters especially the cantina in the original star wars movie and i just i didn't i didn't know what it was and I didn't understand and I, all I knew was like this is like the most amazing thing ever and then I got my hands on a uh, Dungeons and Dragons monster manual uh, in the early 80s and I read it like a book to me it was a book 
was like, I didn't understand the game. I didn't play the game. I didn't play the game for years, but I like collected the monster books. I kind of did to read. the same thing. Like I used to get uh, borrow Dungeons and Dragons books from a friend of mine, like the the Dungeon Master manuals, and I would just read them. Like I I, I didn't know it was an actual game when I was a kid, but it, I just like the the art and like just everything about it. Yeah, for me, they felt like books from another time that mm. I like had access to. And I was like learning about this other place in a way that a traditional novel didn't because I was like learning the, the math behind this world. <laughs> you know, and it's you know, like there was dice and math and like, you know, like all these crazy numbers and everything meant something. But I was a kid, so I was just kind of like I was making it up as I went along because yeah. I didn't understand. And it just kind of went from there. I remember uh, I went to a, a neighbor's uh, friend's uh, house as a kid and his brother was older and he had some of the little, you know, pewter miniatures from Dungeon Dragons. And I saw those and I was like, oh, this is a game changer. And I went home and I started drawing my own monsters and sculpting them out of clay and telling stories. And I just didn't stop. <laughs> and it just kind of went from there. Um, That's amazing, though, that you managed to, you know, sculpture. Well, <laughs> I used the word sculpt, but sculpt your entire life around, <laughs> you know, what you loved as a kid. I mean, not too many people get to claim that, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, too, is like it's it's taken a lot of hard work and being an adult to do it. So, it's, you know, <laughs> trying to trying to hold on to that, that joy and that that excitement and awe of the child experience with these things and then kind of like make sure that's in your pocket at all times as you're being an adult and yeah. dealing with contracts and deadlines and you know the stress of the stress of the world yeah to take fun and try to you know make a make a living off of it is never easy yeah, that's that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so something that I'm curious about uh, throughout your whole career, like, is, is there a specific character that you enjoyed either uh, drawing if they already exist or, or designing if you were making up a new character? Uh, well, it depends on the property uh, with uh, like the Star Wars projects. Um, my favorite character is the reptilian bounty hunter Bosk of the Trandoshan. Nice. And my second favorite character is Admiral Akbar. And so it was always kind of like the, the goal was to do as many Mon Calamari and as many Trandoshans as I could. And it's just, as long as I'm working on the project, I need to keep, um, you know, making these things. And like right now, if you follow me on social media, I'm doing 50 days of Star Wars where I'm posting work that I did on the Star Wars properties, one, one or two pieces a day for 50 days. And today's day seven. So there's 43 more days to follow me on social media and see all of my Star Wars work. I, I did a, a hundred days of Dungeons and Dragons uh, at the end of last year, wow. the last hundred days. Cause you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, I've been doing this stuff for a while. Let me just kind of <laughs> flood, flood the, flood the social, social media with my work again and kind of just, re-experience and re-love it um for for D, D, i have had the opportunity and the the pleasure of designing and redesigning monsters for two separate editions i worked on leading up to fourth edition and then on leading up to fifth edition and i was on the design teams of both and just kind of giving things a new uh take completely restarting some monsters, updating them and doing that kind of stuff. And that's generally what I've done with D&D a lot is I'll be assigned something new or something that needs to get redone, updated, and I, 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 deal, I deal with it. And that's just, in general, just a fun experience to be kind of like, all right, this is a monster that I've been familiar with since I was a very little kid with my first monster manual, and now I get to breathe life into it and how I imagine it. And for that, for one of those pieces that's carried around, carried with me is the Ankeg. It's kind of a subterranean big insect monster. And I illustrated it just straight up uh, for fourth edition uh, as it had been. Uh, and then in fifth edition, I got to redesign it and illustrate it. So, so how does that work when you do something like uh, monster designs for Dungeons and Dragons? Do they just sort of give you a, a character and say, Hey, go make this. And then you come back with the finished product. Or is it one oh. of those things where you got to do like, you know, a bunch of different mock-ups and they, you know, they sort of pick and choose. 
Oh yeah, I mean, and this is this is where my time in working in the film industry in LA really kind of helped because it's kind of like uh, when, when I was in LA, I had about an hour, literally sometimes an hour, to design something brand new that no one's ever seen that needs to be on screen next week. So, like for 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 D and um, when I was working on Fifth Edition, uh, my art my art director, um, he'd be like, "All right, how many pieces do you want?" And I'm like, uh, "Let's let this round we'll do seven. you know. And so I'll be focusing on seven pieces, and and uh, he'll give me like, "All right, it's the Beholder Death Tyrant. It's an undead Beholder, but we need a completely new look for it. Give us something." And then they're like, "Okay, and here's another Beholder Kin." It's a gauth. It needs to be something new, and it has to look different than other beholders. You need to be able to recognize it instantly. I'm like, okay. And like the other thing is like, okay, we need a wear shark, and it's like, okay. <laughs> and then you know, in the Ercocoda, we need an update on this bird creature. He was a he was kind of like a vulture weird thing in the back in the past. Now he needs to be like a hawk or an eagle. And you know, they'll give give me descriptions because sometimes they're like all right, these are, this is explicitly what we want. And it's like, oh, that's not fun. Or it's, or it's like, here's an idea. It's like, this thing is a shadow. What does this look like? And I'm like, those are the extremes. And both, both are fun and have their problems. But it's like, mostly in the middle, it's kind of like, here's an idea. What is your take on it? Is kind of like what I like. And kind of be able to bring some of myself so is that kind of what you prefer is when they really don't have an idea for some, what, what something looks like and just kind of yeah, like, hey, I mean, come up with something. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's, that's the best. Um, sometimes, well, actually I kind of like um, having a little bit of a confined box to work in. I think for me, uh, especially on a deadline um, that helps the most where it's like, okay, this thing's humanoid and it needs to feel reminiscent of this, say this, like, Japanese demon from you know 1200 years ago here's here's a picture of a silk painting you know something like this but not this yeah go for it and I'm like oh <laughs> let's make some demons you know it's kind of one of those things and um I mean like so and you know and I always always say that there you know there's a there's an arc with work for me where it'd be like it's kind of rough at the beginning and then I'll hit my stride and we'll be like going crazy and then at some point I'm like I've taken on too much work I need to stop <laughs> so, so it's you, like do you have go, go stuff ahead. maybe like on the back burner like just stuff you do on your own and then they're like want something you're like ooh this kind of fits and then you know present well, that. Uh, the very first work I ever did for Wizards of the Coast, uh, who do magic and Dungeons and Dragons and other stuff, um, the first project I worked with them in 2005 was a new miniatures game called Dreamblade that lasted a few years. And it was a uh, tournament-based competitive miniature game. And it's if you haven't played it, it's like super cool. It is a really good game. Uh, and it doesn't take much, though there's... There's a kajillion miniatures and there's tons of sets, and, but they're kind of all real cheap now because it's they haven't been in production in over a decade. Um, but when that first started, they had ideas, but then the art director came to me and said, what's in your sketchbook? And I'm like, what? It's like, <laughs> what are you working on right now? And I was like, oh, I, I have these drawings. They're like, oh, well, we're going to buy this. You need to do a turnaround of that. We're going to make that in the miniature. And it's like, oh, that's going into Dungeons and Dragons. And like there was all this stuff where I'm like, whoa, 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 is this is this what it's really like? And that was the first and the last time that ever happened. <laughs> wow. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where I've always wanted to get back to that, where the in which is kind of why I've, you know, one one of the many reasons why I, I wrote and illustrated my own book and which is becoming books, plural. So do you prefer to be your, do you like writing your own stuff or is it just some, like something that, uh, you know, you kind of had on the back burner or? Uh, well, I've always been a writer, but, and I remember um, I had uh, instructors, teachers in high school and stuff and uh, in college are like, wow, you can really you can really write really well, but your spelling is atrocious. And I'm like, cause I, I, have I grew up with dyslexia and I I'm a horrible speller and it's just one of these things I and but I've waited long enough and we have spell check on everything there's the Grammarly app 
you know, and there's technology that, you know, has my back and keeps me going. And um, when I started my first book, I mean, I mean, technically, I started the first book in 1998. Uh, it, 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 I published it in 2020, because, you know, if you're going to, you know, see the conclusion of 22 years of work, you do it during a pandemic. <laughs> and because it was it was the, the Kickstarter launched the Saturday of Pensacon in 2020. Oh, wow. And yeah, so uh, it was it was a big deal. And it, you know, it funded in less than an hour. And it was it was great. So I had I had the, the mock-ups at the the mock-ups of the books at the convention. They were they were overnighted to me by my publisher. So I had them at the convention and I had a big setup and I had some of the art from the book. And you know, it was this big thing. And so it's nice jump ahead two years, I can come back to Pensacon and have have the book with me. Awesome. And the name of the book that you're going to have is The Grand Bazaar. The Grand Bazaar of Ethra Vandalia, and it's the first book, Monsters and Merchants. Fantastic. And uh, how much is, are people looking to, to plop down for the, for the book? Well, this book that it's over 250 pages with over 100 pieces of art is $40. That's not bad at all. Oh, yeah. not bad and at all. If, if you're a Dungeons & Dragons player, I also have a pocket guide that has D&D stats for all of the monsters in the book. And if you want to have some more fun, I actually have a coloring book of all of the art as well. So, right. uh, yeah. Because, you know, if you're going to make a book, the best thing is to do make is three books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to have to pick up that coloring book because I'm five. But, um... but no, yeah, they're, they're, it's super cool. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of one of those things where it's my, my at some point early on in the production, when my wife realized it's like, oh, you actually are like working towards something. She's like, scan the line art of everything. And I'm like, what? Just scan it. Scan the line art. It'll, it'll be useful for something. So. Uh, I had to retrofit some of the line art, <laughs> some from the early pieces after the fact, but the rest are all scans of just the line work from all of the illustrations. So, and that's what you get to color. Nice. That's awesome. Um, now, I know we've, we've touched a little bit on both Magic and Dungeons. I'm curious between Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, is, is there one of those games that you particularly enjoy playing yourself? Well, a million years ago, uh, <laughs> uh, back in the early 90s, I played a lot of Magic, and I had a lot of Magic cards, and I played up until the release of Ice Age, which was 96, I think, and that's when I stopped. I just, I left for college, and uh, I just stopped, stopped buying cards and stuff, and sadly, uh, against my will, all of my cards left my possession uh in the late 90s wow. when they were yeah and I, I i don't look at prices because i'm like oh i had five of those dual lands and i had 10 of those dual lands <laughs> and i'm like oh those are only going for a thousand dollars each now oh that's ah, i'm glad i sold my cards for forty dollars yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i i played some second edition of D D uh back with a group of folks that I knew when I worked at a comic book store back in the mid, mid eight, mid nineties. Cause that's what you do. You work at a comic book store. Um, so I played some, some played some D and D then I played some D and D in 3.5 when I was uh, out of just out of college. And then when I started working on fourth edition, I DM'd a lot of fourth edition D and D uh, but our group kind of finally fizzled out. And I haven't really played since. I don't have the time. That's the trouble. Spend yeah. so much time working on this stuff. You never have time to play it. It's funny you say that, you know, like Magic the Gathering and stuff. Like you got out of it when you went to college. But when I, when I went to college, that's when it seemed like Magic the Gathering was like everybody was playing it. Like my first year of college was 96. And like in the commons area, you know, with all the tables and like the cafeteria and everything, like people would just sit there and play magic the gathering all day long and it always oh, seemed yeah. like so daunting. i never got into it because it just seemed so daunting like you know you had like the super nerds that are like into it with like books of cards and like you ask them about it and you, and you they try to explain it and i'm just like I, I can't do it it's too much for me 
Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and I look at it now and I'm like, in theory, I understand what's happening, but I'm like, it is so, I mean, it's 20 plus years beyond when I played. So there's, Mm -hmm. I mean, 20, 20 years, I mean, two decades of cards that I've never even really seen, (laughs) you know? And it's like, I mean, it's like, I have to have people tell me if the card I worked on is good or not, (laughs) because it's like, and most of the time they're not, I have filler cards, but you know, I, I have a, I have a rare coming out at some point this year, that's going to be an extended border. Uh, it was my first one. So that's, that's going to be fun. Hopefully that's, that'll be, a good that's gotta be hard to take. Like you, you get in a conversation with somebody and like, Oh, you make ga- uh, magic cards. Like, yeah, I did this one and this one. I'm like, Oh man, that, those cards suck. Like, how do you take that? You're just like, oh. uh, for, for years, I'm talking years. Um, after my first card came out, I had people, especially at conventions, coming up to me and gleefully telling me that my card was the worst card in the uh, entire history of the game. And I'm like, I'm like, are, do, are, it's like, do you feel better now for telling me that? I mean, it's like, it's like, are you, did someone dare you to, I was like, I mean, it's like, you all know, I, it's not like I made the card, right. I just painted the image that's on it that I was told. I like, I don't know the card stats until you know the card stats it's like i don't i don't like most of the time the names change we don't we don't know what set they are it's you know there's there's a lot of layers to keep us from purposefully and accidentally leaking too much information if we happen to open our mouths in public because in like right i think it was it was right before i started working on magic there was a lot of um lawsuits basically there was some artists and some uh gaming folks and i don't know i think there were some of them were in europe i don't know if any in america but there was a massive uh breach of intellectual property and that yeah there were lawyers were involved and there was a lot of bad things and after that um as far as i know sets got code names you know everything everything is like if you when you get the style guide it is your style guide that you have to unlock with a password. Wow. And so it's like, they, they know, they know if it gets out, they know who did it. And that's, that's totally cool. I, I get that because, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, at this point, it's like, I work on a card and like a year and a half later or a year later, it comes out or it doesn't. And it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I, I had a piece that went missing for like five years. I did it for one set and it was going to be new art for an existing card for and it was going to be in a commander set and it never came out the the set came out and they used the they either used the original art that was already there or they used someone else's art and i'm like because eh. it wasn't the first time that happened because the first time you when your art doesn't get used you have a panic attack and you you doubt your very existence as an artist <laughs> and by the time the magic work didn't get used, it had happened so often. It's like stuff, you know, projects getting shuttered. It's like I'll work six months on something and they're like, oh, it's not going to get made now. Oh, well. And, and you can never show the art ever. I'm oh, like, yeah. It yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my lawyer about that one. But yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. eventually every, I've, I've shown everything I've ever worked on that went missing. But sometimes, sometimes I can't tell you what it was from. I can be like, Here's some here's some work that I don't own the copyright to that you can't touch that I can't tell you about, but I made it. Isn't it cool yeah. out of context? Um, but but yeah, uh, where was I going? So many thoughts. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, it, is that kind of like sadly the the world that artists have to work around? Because like I've had a private conversation with another uh, fairly well known artist who's described the same kind of things to me. Like we had a whole conversation Ooh. about all the people that shafted this guy oh yeah i mean yeah i mean i've i've had cl- i've had publishers uh basically their 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 payment bounced and yeah. and then yeah, they they're like oh put it through again it'll 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 go now and i'm like okay what about the fee that my bank charged me hello hello what about the fee the bank charged me and they're like meh and I'm like, so I'm like, I'm like, wow, I did this work for even less money. Wow. So, oh, I remember where I was going. So yeah, I had a piece that went missing for five years. And then it like 
randomly popped up five years later in some other complete set as new artwork for a card that hadn't been re reprinted since Ice Age. So I was like, ah, the fates have shined on me. The, a card that was in the last set I ever played has been re, uh, uh, re, re, uh, reprinted and it has my art on it. And I'm like, okay, everything, you know, the circle is complete. You know? so <laughs> like, do you make and, royalties when that happens? Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 you kidders. Yeah. <laughs> If if I had royalties, I would have retired with all my Star Wars work because they have reprinted and reprinted and reprinted my stuff on the Star Wars games so many times. I think I I think I had a piece that's been reused seven or eight times now. And it's like, yeah. Man. Uh, the the first time they paid me, it was only like a hundred dollars, and they've reused it like seven <laughs> times. Wow. Damn you, That's, George Lucas, and your billions! Uh, it, it's, it's not. It's not George Lucas. It's not Disney. It was the gaming company. Oh, uh, okay. Well, damn them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of the reasons I don't work with them anymore. <laughs> and you know, I'd rather make my own books. <clears throat> right. So, uh, as far as some, uh, you've done uh, makeup effects work too, uh, special makeup effects and. Some of the stuff you worked on has been, uh, of course, we mentioned before, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, uh, Firefly. Um, what did you do on Talk Soup? <laughs> that was one of the. That was one of the first things I ever worked on. I saw that. I was um, like, what? So there was a couple. It was it, it, the the filming schedule of Talk Soup back in the day because the show's long gone. Um, they would they basically had blocks of time that they filmed, and though they were they were addressing like active shows and you know the whole if those who are not familiar with talk soup is it was a it was a talking head variety show that made fun of daytime talk television so like all of you know just and they would you know do funny edits and it was kind of ahead of their time because there's a lot of people that do that kind of thing now it was just you know recapping and talking about yeah, it's basically it was youtube in the late 90s early 2000s yeah. <laughs> before yeah, so YouTube. um yeah so they would film a bunch of episodes or parts of episodes all at once so and they would film in like this weird like two hour three hour block every day but they would cram as much into it as they could and they were doing a james lipton spoof with um, Hal Sparks, who was the current, who at the time was the current uh, host. And so uh, we did this bald head and kind of this age makeup, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think it was James Lipton, thing. But I, it was just one of these things where it's like, we, I just had to show up and be an extra pair of hands to the boss. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so, we, you know, we did this, we did this, the makeup, and I think it was James Lipton. And uh, so Hal did like a bunch of different segments that I think got dispersed over multiple shows. And then randomly that same day, they were filming uh, Mongol warriors, Genghis Khan's warriors attacking someone and dragging them out of the building. And they needed people. And I just happened to be there and I was free. So they put me in armor and I'm literally like have the leg of somebody and there's, there's a, some random episode where me, me and some like, like super nerdy dude with like glasses, he's wearing his glasses. And, you know, I think all of the, there's four of us and like three of us were like, totally like, Oh, look at those Caucasian dudes. And like one guy at least was like, I, I think he was Hispanic. So at least he had, you know, maybe could have can be considered a warrior. It was just like, it was just like, it was all totally silly. And so we're like carrying some dude out of the building and we're in uh, like Burbank or wherever. I forget where they filmed. It was, in, the thing is too, it was weird in like LA. You know, it's just like you go to the fifth, the 50th floor of this high rock, of this skyscraper. And there's a, it's the whole floor is a filming studio. It's like, this is a weird world. It's a yeah. weird city. So yeah, we're out front on the street carrying this guy up and down the street. He's screaming and rioting, and we're just carrying him down. Yeah, that's that was the beginning and the end of my work on Talk Soup. It was one wow. day, one day, and it was like a bunch of episodes all crammed into one day. That's so cool. 
and you got to be a Mongol warrior for the yeah. duration of your period on Toxic. Yeah, there's like, you know, it's the thing is we didn't have our we didn't have our phones at the time, so I have like some weird random digital photo that I don't even think I have. I I print I send a photo to my mom in an email, and she printed it out, and it's this bad printout, and that's the only record oh. I have of it. <laughs> it's just like in this weird printout in a scrapbook. So. You know, we should do some homework and see if we can find that episode of Talk Soup somewhere. It would have been uh, late 90s, no, late 99, early 2000. Okay, we'll get our intern on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking more late 99 than anything. Okay, late 99. Okay, so BJ, when you listen to this, if you can send me the link to that episode by the end of the day or you're fired <laughs> good good luck finding the, the archive of talk soup i'm sure they might have a, have all the talk soup episodes somewhere yeah if anyone thinking, can do it it's our intern believe me uh, it, it would be funny like if on amazon prime or hbo max or something like they've been lumped into the like it was it was uh what was the chant was it e uh, entertainment television I think it was I it yeah, was, it was, yeah. Like someone had to own them. You like they were oh, was it wait, were they owned by the same same folks that owned Nickelodeon? It would have it would have been HBO. So maybe somewhere in the HBO archives there are all of the talk soup episodes. I'm okay. sure someone would watch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk soup was a really funny show. Like, I yeah. don't know why that wouldn't be streaming somewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's they had a ton of great hosts. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, some of them went on to, like, do huge things. Yeah, yeah that's where Joel McHale got his start. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, a huge A-list name right now. Um, I'm, I want to talk about your work on uh, specifically Buffy, Angel, and Firefly, the Joss Whedon projects. Like, I want to know everything you did for those. Please tell me all the stories you have. Okay. Uh, well, first and foremost, we didn't know he was a garbage human at the time. I wish I had known. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one thing we didn't know is that he was a garbage human. So uh, he seemed really cool at the time, though he was kind of aloof and kind of stuck to his own. But I did catch him one day on set singing the Trogdor song from Homestar Runner. And I was like, oh, that's kind of really super cool and nerdy for him to do that. And then he saw me seeing him do that and he stopped and like <laughs> ran, ran away. So I don't, anyway. So um, let's see. I worked on season seven of Buffy and seasons four and five of Angel and then the only season of Firefly. Um, uh, The shop that I worked for had already acquired the shows from uh, the effects company called Optic Nerve. They had done uh, the Joss Whedon stuff uh, for a while. And there was just kind of some friction between companies and uh, the shop that uh, that I worked for was brought in for Buffy season six for um, what's more with no the uh, the demon suite episode the, the musical I guess that is mm. the the once more with feeling um, they were the shop was brought in to do the makeup for the main demon that was causing all of the the singing and dancing stuff and it was kind of like a switch was uh, was turned when when my boss and the team showed up with what we could create. And it was kind of like, oh, you're the guys now. And it was kind of right after that. It was like uh, Optic Nerve was out and the shop I worked for, Almost Human, uh, was in. And after finishing up uh, the sixth season of Buffy and season three of Angel, uh, they needed more people, and uh, I had previously worked with the owner of the company uh, back in '99. Uh, summer of '99, they were filming a low-budget uh, vampire movie here in Tallahassee, where I went to school. I went to FSU, um, and I was in the art department. And they put up signs in the art department saying they uh, they needed people to work on this movie. And I'm like, I'm a person who could work on a movie. And I took the sign and I made a call and. Like literally the next day I was talking to a guy in LA who was going to come out and worked on the movie. And I was like, you're my ticket. Yeah. I, 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 I know I, I, I see a path forward in, in making art and doing cool stuff. And I spent the summer basically interning with a Los Angeles trained makeup effects artist. And 
when I graduated at the end of 99, um, I went out to LA and worked with him on a number of things. That's when I worked on Fox Soup and did a ton of uh, commercials and monster movies and all kinds of weird stuff. And I did that for about a year or so until the, uh, the uh, internet bubble burst for the first time in 2000, mm-hmm. if you're old enough to remember when oh, yeah. <laughs> like every, all the venture capital money like vanished and the internet collapsed on itself and we no longer have the internet. but yeah so like work dried up for a chunk of like the last half of 2000 and there was writer strikes and there was all kinds of stuff so i i left la and then jump forward the they have all their shows and come to uh 2002 uh i get a call uh thankfully the call came five days after i proposed to my wife or proposed to my fiance at the time my wife i proposed to her five days later i get a call like hey we need you we got tons of shows. We're overwhelmed. I got an opportunity for you to come back out to LA. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. <laughs> it's like, I, I told her, I'm like, hey, so you want to move to LA and work on, for me to work on movies? And she's like, yes, let's do this. And, you know, it's much better than like, I'm moving away. You want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we pretty much, I hit the ground running. And like the first week I was back out there, I was working on, uh, an episode of Buffy. I was working on a show called Miracles that lasted 13 episodes or something. Was it Skeet Aldridge? Is that, a, is that an actual actor's name? Yeah, I don't know. He was, Skeet Aldridge. Ulrich. Yeah. Ulrich. Yeah, he was in Scream, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, he was the he was the star of the show called Miracles. And it was all he, that show. Yeah. Oh, it was it was there and gone. And it was but it was one of those like 2002, 2000. No, it was a 2002 show. Um like he was played a he played a very young priest and like crazy stuff would happen so like there was a woman in a plane who died and they did an autopsy on her so we had the scars on the actress and i made organs and then it turned out like whatever happened in the plane reverted itself 36 hours after you got to the ground but they had then done the autopsy and oh they cut her up and she died anyway if they had left her alone she would have been okay or so i but we made we made burned up bodies we made mummified bodies we did a lot of cool stuff but that's not buffy or angel so yeah, that sounds fun though yeah i mean it was cool it was that's the thing is I, I was still a kid at the time i was working on those things so i wasn't the artist i am now i didn't have the experience i didn't have the skill set and I was basically, I was laying, I was, I was, I was driving a train and I was laying the track right in front of the train the entire time. And I was just trying to keep my head above water. Cause you know, I, I was, I was a dumb kid kind of just out of college and I got thrown into a group of folks that some of the, some of those guys, they, they'd been in the industry for a couple decades already and they had tons of experience and, you know, they could, they could do all the stuff blindfolded and here I am. I'm like, I got enthusiasm. <laughs> and so it was, it was a huge learning curve, but you know, it's kind of one of those things where I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone through the shit storm of Los Angeles. Cause I, I got to meet a lot of amazing artists that I did not work with. There was just other artists uh, in the area and they were the ones who kind of encouraged me and uh, showed me ways to get, better and how to improve and new ways to think about drawing and using reference and all these things. And then with being in LA, I was able, I did a lot, we did a lot with trauma. So I, I'm, I'm in, and I worked on the Toxic Avenger 4. There's a ton of other trauma movies that we've worked on and I'm in. Uh, And that, that's, that's real, still real, some happy memories of working with trauma and Lloyd Kaufman and, just be and I, I super formed the toxic adventure at events so if there's there's a period of time if you saw the toxic adventure anywhere in the country it was me because <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I, I i i did i did toxic in florida i did toxic in la i mean a lot of places in california and i like there's there's a ton of dvds that if you look at the extras and there, there's going to be toxic and that's that's me. That's me in the suit. So but, you know, I I would guess that here there's a movie you did in 2004 called Tales from the Crapper. I that's yeah. got to be trauma. It's got to be is trauma. And, and the thing <laughs> is, it was like two or three movies that there were supposed to be 
two or three standalone movies and they all they turned out so badly <laughs> so badly <laughs> that they that they turned them into one movie and made wow. it an anthology and the thing is I, I i honestly have to say the extras on that dvd of tales from the crapper are some of the best extras that i've ever watched. i mean granted it is talking about experiences that i was part of but it's basically um, Lloyd Kaufman talks about the implosion of Troma LA because Troma used to be based originally in New York and it mm-hmm. still is. But for a while there, they had a Los Angeles office. The office was literally across the street, across the alley. There was, there was, there was like, it was 10 feet from the studio that I, that when I worked originally in LA. So, I mean, we, and, uh, we and Troma were like, like that. I mean, they were, they're right there. So I would just, I would walk, walk across the alley and walk in and go like, what are you guys working on? It's like, oh, can I borrow this DVD to watch? You know, it's kind of what it is. And so we were doing a lot with them and uh, the, the, the movies, the, cause it was, it was soul stripper and ticket to ride, I think were the two original names of some of the movies that they made. And they, they bad. I mean, that they're you know it's like they everyone that and that's the thing i was like i i try to i try to say you know because a lot of people talk about quality is based on their opinion it's like oh i didn't like it so it's bad or i like it so it's good i'm like no that's you like it or you don't like it the quality of the object stays unchanged by your opinion so in this case They were bad. <laughs> See that that we, says something too, because you know the reason that the trauma has the reputation they had is because they're bad movies, but they got a lot of heart behind them. Right. So they, right. Like, and and yeah, when something's so bad that even trauma's like, I don't think we should put this out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because because what it came down to is they didn't have enough usable material to edit together to mm. make something good and i mean that's the thing that's one of the things about trauma that i loved is that you have these impossible ideas that have been made into an hour and a half movie and it's like how did this even get made how did the you know and they acquire a lot of stuff though you know they make their own stuff and the the trauma brand movies are (laughs) wonderful you know but like they acquire a lot of crazy stuff and it's the fact that like a group of people got together and were able to accomplish this and make it i mean that's you know the South Park guys, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, mm-hmm. they are who they are because Troma bought and finished um, Cannibal the Musical, which was yeah. their first feature. And that, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. And it's one of these things where it's, it's, a lot of these things are time capsules. It's like only at a particular time, at a particular place, could this be made and it will never be made again. You'll never see anything like it. If, and if people out there have never seen that movie, it's amazing. Cannibal the Musical is something that, especially if you're a South Park fan or being a passing South Park fan, it's that movie if you is like, so out there. If, if you like musicals, I mean, they're yeah. like, even if you like the idea of musicals, because they take the idea of a musical and turn it on its ear. And there's a lot of like, I mean, and if if you know that you, if you know their live action movies, if you know or mm-hmm. um, orgasmo and uh, ba- basketball mm-hmm. and some of these other things, you'll see some of their repeat buddies and like the actors that they like. You'll see them in these in all of these movies, and it's just kind of fun to see them kind of be doing the doing their shtick and doing being part of this like weird little you know shared universe yeah. of. Trey Parker and Matt Stone's I mean, movie they, worlds. They made a musical about the Donner Party. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. get any better than that. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that, you know, and I felt like I was really kind of like in, the, in a sweet spot of trauma at the, you know, the turn, the turn of the century, you know, 2000. Uh, it was, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff was happening. And then the extras in Tales from the Crapper showed the demise of Troma LA. And basically, um, Lloyd Kaufman is talking shit for the entire time he's doing the extras <laughs> and like has video and like has video of being on set and people talking shit about him until he shows up. And it's like, it's like you're talking shit about Lloyd Kaufman, the guy who's paying you to be there to make a movie. And you're like talking crap about him behind his back on camera. 
I, I just don't see Lloyd Kaufman like he's he has such an East Coast vibe about him. I just don't see him ever really. I, I don't know. It just seems like L.A. is the complete wrong place to have something like trauma. Like that just seems like yeah. such a East well, Coast DIY thing to do. It's, you know, it's, it's why it's not there anymore. Just because it was out of arm's reach, and I, I think at one point, like a dude had co-opted the office and Lloyd called the office and the dude picked up and said his production company's name over the phone. Yeah. And that, I think that was the kiss of death. I think Lloyd was on a, on a plane then like within an hour. And, but, but anyway, yeah, those, yeah, I got, I got tons of crazy stories like that. Cause you know, being like, that's the thing. It's like, you don't get those stories unless you're in the, the middle of it. If you're like yeah. in, in the meat of these things happening. But, uh, yeah, so Buffy on Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hey, I, I need to find a DVD copy of Tales from the Crapper because I got to see that extra. I, I, I think I got, I have two, I think. I, don't, I keep buying <laughs> copies because I'm like, oh, I need to watch that. Oh, I don't have it. And I'm like, yeah, it's, the, it's that stack of them over there that I keep forgetting about. <laughs> so I, I think I bought another one last year because I'm like, oh, I don't have that because there is so much. There's so much that I worked on that I've never seen, that I've never watched, that I don't own. I mean, there's a, there's a show called The Inside that it was one of the last things I worked on, and it was a TV series, and it was supposed to be the next big thing, and it wasn't. Hmm. And it never got put out on disc, and I think it think some bootleg copies are on YouTube, and I like... I. I'm like, oh God, I found it. I can now go see. And I never watched. I still didn't go back and watch it. The very first movie, the very first movie I worked on, which was the movie that I shot here in Tallahassee in 1999, um, I, it was never released. It was an, un, I think they finished it, but it was never released. It was a Roger Corman movie that Roger Corman didn't want to put out. Mm. So that, that should tell you everything you need to know. But you know, and it I, was I the tales from the crapper of the Corman universe. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, it was it was it was pretty much all crewed by college students in the film school at FSU. So I mean, capable people, and you know, they tried to get actors. And I mean, I have I have friendships that still are to this day from the cast and crew of that that movie. But I like waited and waited for that thing to come out. I wanted to see it and wanted to see it and. I found the director on YouTube a couple of years ago and I'm like, Oh God, he's here. He is. He's on, he's on, I found his channel on YouTube. So I reached out to him, started talking and he, I was just like, Hey, so whatever happened to this movie? And he's like, Oh, I can't believe you, you know about it. And I'm like, well, I'm like, no, dude, this is me. I worked on it with you. Remember? And he's like, Oh my God. And I'm like, he's like, all right. So it's up on this Dropbox and I'm going to give you a link to it and you can get it, but you can't give it to anyone else. And you can't share it. And I'm like, Oh no, cool, 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 cool. And I got it. And I probably have forgotten about it. And then like a year or two later, I found out that literally 10 days after that, he died of a stroke. Oh my God. So, oh, no. Yeah. So I was like, I'm like, yeah. So I was like, I was like, and I still haven't watched the movie. Cause that's, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still because I, it's weird now I feel like it's cursed it's a cursed movie <laughs> but it was just one of these things where it's like I was 10 days away from never wow. getting a copy of it so yeah I mean I, I've, scru I've scrubbed through the file I'm like oh there's the movie <laughs> like, there, there it is and because I mean it power to and bless, bless everyone who worked on it we all were working really hard but it looks like it was shot with a camcorder in the mid 80s and yeah. it just there it's it's you know there was a period where you know where digital wasn't film and it was very clear that digital is not film we have now long since gone past that and you, you know you can still tell when it's digital sometimes but you know our cameras and the, everything's gotten better and stuff stuff's shot all digitally now but yeah it's it's there's a rocky period that I that I was in the involved with the industry, and that's it was that transition from, you know, film to video, and say so yeah, a lot of stuff didn't didn't hold. Yeah, you can definitely if you go back and and look at some of those early movies that were you know like this was shot on video and it's supposed to look like film, like hey, it kind of looks like video. It's like if I can see the compression in the hundred percent output, it's yeah. like. <laughs> 
you go back and it has that look about it like like you go back and watch those old like Doctor Who episodes from like the 80s and it's got that look oof. to it it's like ooh sometimes it looks worse than yeah. that cuz <laughs> I mean I mean yeah some of that some of that old BBC stuff has like uh JJ Abrams lens lens blooms for days before uh lens flares yeah. you know before he's like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that looks kind of cool back then. Like, I got a copy of, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, know who Neil Gaiman is. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sure you know who Neil Gaiman is. But uh, <laughs> I have a copy of the BBC presentation of Never, Neverwhere from like 1997 okay. or 98. And they were, and they're talking about redoing it. Um, I think it's got like James McAvoy is going to be in it. And I'm like, man, I need to pull out that, that VHS and watch it. But I remember at the time I got it as a bootleg. At one of the local, <laughs> you know, conventions, and I was watching. It has that very like it was shot on like a, a 1980s handheld video camera. It's like this is so hard. Like it's a good story, but man, this is yeah, so it's, hard it's, to watch. Yeah, it's yeah, it's abrasive to the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you expect so- this. It's like you expect to see like you know like just like the, you know the caterer like the like you know like they like you see like the boom. You know, the boom yeah. mic coming in at a shot, stuff like that. <laughs> it's one of these where it's like, oh, yeah. oh sorry. <laughs> like, great but story, anyway. but gee, hard to watch. I, I feel like we keep getting close to Buffy Angel and Firefly, and we're like, yeah. nope. <laughs> oh, well. I, uh, since you brought it back up again, though, I know you worked on season seven of Buffy. Did yeah. you happen to do any of the uh, design for Clem the Demon? Clem Clem predates us, so we inherited, and it's it was weird. Like some of the stuff that we inherited, we either got to redo, like Anya's makeup, her demon makeup, we redid. Um, But stuff like Clem, um, I don't know what the arrangements was, but like Optic Nerve kept their molds, which they shouldn't have. They should have given us their molds because they no longer had the show. But they were like, no, we we have them. So like. Like Optic Nerve was still being hired to cast up new Clem pieces, and wow. at Pensacon, I don't because COVID time is like thrown out my my my. Oh yeah, I would say like oh it was three years ago. I'm time like, no, three years. time has no meaning anymore. Yeah, <laughs> um, one of the one of the Pensacons two or three or four. I don't. It's sometime in in this world where are we what time is it what's going on um the actor that played clem was at pensacon and i got to like i'm like hey dude you don't know me but we work together <laughs> yeah we we, we yeah. talked to him right here on the show uh, a couple of yeah, years that's ago. why that's why i brought it up uh he was on episode like seven of our podcast yeah. we talked to him nice yeah i mean he's he was he's a cool guy and he was like really really like patient with me <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he was on a panel and they were doing the snatch, they were doing the the match game, you know the the oh yeah the old, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. And at Pensacon they do a, do a match game um thing and I was someone bailed someone canceled and then my wife ended up as one of the one of the celebrity guests and I ended up being one of the contestants and <laughs> the person the person playing with me or against me. She had no clue what was going on. She was deer in the headlights the entire time. And I knew, I knew what you had to do. And so I was like desperately trying to help her. And I would tell her answer like, it's like, say this. And she's like, why? And then say something stupid. And she wasn't getting that you have to be funny and dirty. So like the whole point is innuendo of this game. Because it was like, well, one of the things was, um, oh, uh, Cindy, the cave cave woman, was so dirty. She got what on her wedding night, and I was like, she got boned. And it was just like, and it's like everyone was like, oh my god, that's fucking. Br-. And I was like, I was trying to like, in like the person with, I was with, like, didn't get it. It was just like, I'm like, oh, so yeah, so it, yeah, he was up on, he was up on the, uh, the 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 panel of celebrities with my wife and a bunch. I think. Uh, some of the guys from comic book men were up there and stuff too. So mm-hmm. he, he was, he was cool afterwards. I'm like, I'm like, Hey dude, I worked on, worked on Buffy at the same time you were there. And you know, we had our little moment. I got some photos, but well, Christopher, I hate to do this, but we're coming up on the end 
Mm. No, we're going to keep this going. We're just going to keep this Here's going. We haven't thing. talked about anything. <laughs> I love talking to you so much. Please, please tell me you're you're going to come back on the show and like, let's do it again in what what let's say April. Have you back Any, on the show? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I got I got a million stories, and I'll keep talking. I can I can I literally can do this all day. We can do this it, like let, let's do this. Let's do a special episode where we're going to have you come back. We'll do it in April. We'll we'll start earlier in the afternoon because the only reason I have to go is because I have another podcast coming up in thirty minutes. Ugh. I w- we're gonna start Podcasts. earlier that way we can have at least two solid hours to talk to you. Does that sound good? Yeah, I'll do that in a second. Because yeah, we haven't have to... even. I mean, we haven't. We haven't talked the about surface. anything. Yeah, we haven't even scratched the surface. If if out there, if you listen to this, if and you like this interview, go check out ChristopherBurdett.com. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes and um, just look at this resume. Just look at this freaking resume. Like I have to scroll and scroll and scroll and we haven't even scratched the surface of everything i wanted to talk about tonight i feel like we were talking about like everything around yeah. my career <laughs> yeah this episode was just foreplay we're gonna get yeah. to the good this stuff is just part time. this is part one we'll do part two uh we'll schedule so anyway you. about buffy angel and firefly so <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that on the next one and um yeah if you're gonna be in Pensacon. Which is uh, not, see, this show a, is on Friday. It'll be next Saturday. If you're listening to this on uh, Friday, the, what was the date? The, the 11th. Okay, Pensacon is next weekend, the weekend of the 17th, 18th, and 19th, I believe. Yeah, 18th through the 20th. Yeah, 18th through 20th uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Me and Jacob are both going to be there. I'm going to be doing yeah. a Nerd Cave retro panel on Saturday afternoon. Go visit I'm going to crash it. Yes. Go check yeah, out you, Mr. Christopher Burdett at his table. He's got look look for the red walls. Look look for the you know I'll have tons of these books and I I have three panels at the Pentagon too. I'm gonna do be doing an an artist showdown where there's gonna be a bunch of us drawing wow. live. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about um, my time in the career. I'm gonna be talking with uh, I forget his name because I'm bad with names, mm-hmm. but he was Darth Vader and worked on a ton of video games and did post production on Star Wars movies, and it's going to be me and him, and I don't know why I'm there. I just want to listen to him talk. And then I'm doing another uh, panel about uh, doing cover work and fantasy illustration. So just, yeah. You don't well. want to miss it. Just go check out Pensacon.com. You can yeah. get the, uh, the Pensacon app, and that'll tell you where everything's going on. Um, just download that app. It's going to be a fantastic, awesome. Uh, it's too bright. You can't see it. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an awesome weekend. I'm definitely going to come uh, see your, see you at your table and uh, shake your hand and tell you that, hey, remember me? We talked last well, Wednesday. You know, it'll be like, yeah. remember me? And I'm like, no, I don't. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> just, just remember this. Remember this yeah. and the bald head. And that'll be me. The head's yeah. a dead, dead giveaway. Well, yeah, you and like a hundred other the dudes. Well, <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's true. But thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been one of my favorite episodes we have ever done. I don't know about you, Jacob, thank but you this was me. fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, and, no, I, I had a lot of fun. This was a great change of pace after the last uh, few weeks. So uh, where can everybody find you on the interwebs, Mr. Burdett? Well, uh, you can go to ChristopherBurdett.com, and that has pointers in all the different directions, but you can also find me on ChristopherBurdett.blogspot.com. I've been doing a uh, three times a week, give or take, pod, uh, I mean, uh, blog since 2009 that had chronicles my entire career. So awesome. all of the ups, all of the downs, I have, uh, you know, tutorials on how I make work. I talk about what I'm doing, you know, it's, it's all there. That's, that's what my stream of consciousness is. The professional stuff's on my, my website by my name um yeah i got a store if you want to buy art or books you know you can get that stuff i'm on facebook i'm on instagram i'm on twitter all the links are on my website or other everywhere else just look for christopher burdett i'm here you can find I just me. i just followed you on twitter too it's at chris Bur- chris burdett on uh on twitter yeah because they had a limitation when yeah. i <laughs> like i couldn't i couldn't do my full name when I joined Twitter, but now you can have the whole name. Man. Oh, I, I feel your pain. I got a long name too. <laughs> uh, but Jacob, um, what you got coming up before we get out of here? 
man, I just want to say thank you so much, Mr. Burdett, for coming on. I will for sure check out all of your panels. I'm going to be trying to hit as many panels as I can while I'm there, and I'll check you out at your table, too. And you will cool. also not recognize me. But uh, <laughs> just just I, remind me who you are and I'll remember. Just look, okay. just look for the guy with diabetes. That'll be Jacob. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> but um, I will actually if you're watching live and I hope you are, I will be opening for Mick Foley tomorrow night at, uh, in, the, at in Mobile, Alabama at the Alabama Music Box. Tickets are still available. Surprisingly, they're going to sell out, but they're still available right now www.alabamamusicbox.com to get those and come see Mick Foley and me opening for him and uh, come to the Juke Joint every Tuesday night if you're local to Ocean Springs, Mississippi to see me hosting that and that'll just about do it. And I'm going to go and play our music here. If you want to email us, we're at openmikerspodcast at gmail.com at openmikers on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like to help us keep the lights on and you would like to get roasted at the beginning of our episode, head over to patreon.com slash ompodcast. Also, B-Res Coffee Company and go get a bag of our very own coffee and use the code OMPODCAST for 10% off your order. And we'll see you guys next week.